Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch where I present part two of my interview with world-renowned Luke Catinho. And you don't want to miss this week's episode. It's absolutely a showstopper. And we have information that uh, we've never presented before. And I love this guy's approach to health and wellness. So without further ado, I present to you part two of my episode with Luke Catinho. And uh, so I want to circle back to this study that was done on an African tribe where a group of scientists went into uh, a village in Africa where they live extremely simply. So they live according to the Earth's circadian rhythm. Once the sun sets, they stop eating, they go to sleep. After a little bit of socializing, they wake up, they hunted, they gathered, they ate, and they were in sunshine. They were happy people. So they measured their energy levels. That's subjective, but they took them through a series of questions. Energy levels, happiness on a scale, how well they slept, and then they took a stool sample of their microbiome. Then over a period of six weeks, they gave them access to a whole heap of what we consider junk food in the Western world. And that is like Mars bars, chips, and all manner of things that we know that is terrible. But they let the tribe continue to eat whatever they normally ate on a daily basis. Now, after six weeks, they took the same measures and they found that their energy levels were the same. Their sleep patterns were unchanged. Their happiness scales were still the same. They took their stool samples because they were confused. <laughs> they thought it was going to mess up their gut and it was their whole life was going to unravel. They took their stool sample and to their surprise, it was unchanged. Their microbiome was still healthy. Then they concluded that the things that kept these people, their microbiome healthiest, it was the sunshine and for their circadian rhythm. They didn't eat too late. They weren't stressed. They didn't overeat. And of course, the next day they would wake up and they would hunt and gather before they ate. So what do you think of that research? Anyway, that was quite fascinating. Yeah, I would add something else. The, the sunshine definitely plays a role because vitamin D, the synthesis of vitamin D and the gut, the performance of the gut is directly correlated. Yeah. And one in two people, mostly one in two people are deficient in vitamin D. Even my Australian clients in Australia, where they're sunbathing because the ozone's changed, the quality of the sun has changed, which is why most doctors today say, if you have a deficiency, go stand out in the sun as much as you want, but you're still going to have to take the vitamin. And I would challenge doctors on this until I started seeing that they're right, because the environment has changed and we need to give supplements of vitamin D to our people when they have low vitamin D, because it synthesizes in the gut and it's everything. Vitamin D is a miracle vitamin for every human being. So that made a difference even on their happiness. You know, Sam, there's a lot from that study that I take away. The circadian rhythm for sure, because when we operate according to the laws of nature, the intelligence within us works for us. So it will work even if there's a cancer cell growing or a tumor, yes. it will identify it and the immune system will do the job like it's doing in you and me right now. We have cancer cells in us. Well, why hasn't it become a tumor or a cancer? Because every time it grows abnormally, our immune system attacks it. So anyone out there with cancer, number one, you need to know it's a breakdown in your immune system, which is why you can take all the treatments in the world. But if there's no protocol to boost your immune system and keep inflammation low, your cancer is going to come back over and over again. 
It's a multifactorial disease. But going back to the study, what I believe also kept these Africans healthy in their microbiome is their state of mind. They're happy people. Happiness is a universal energy. When we are happy, it's difficult for the body to fall sick. And even if it falls sick, it recovers. That intelligence I spoke about as within us is always working for us. And I can see it. You know, we have a lot of people, New York, London, India, and they're so picky. They eat like birds, five pumpkin seeds, pomegranate, allergic acid supplements, everything. They're so stressed out and health obsessed. Yet they have problems. They're diabetic. They have acne. They are hormonal. And then I have people who may be pleasantly plump. They don't care. They're happy people, have a peg every day. They eat a dessert. They have no disease at all. And now scientifically, that would challenge you, but you're obese, but you have no disease. A happy person. Your mindset plays a difference. And these people in the whole study, they continue doing everything else. They didn't allow the worst of the diet to affect them because their body started to adapt around it. Now in India, we have above poverty and we have below poverty level. And when we consult with people below poverty level, what is their diet? They eat, unfortunately, a lot of them have unhygienic water, unhygienic food carb-heavy diet because they work in the fields, physical labor. Protein requirements are not met. No multivitamins in their diet at all. But they're disease-free, most of them. They would suffer from a snake bite or a physical accident, very little disease. Their bodies have adapted around the food that they eat. So we can't make a statement that you are all about the food that you eat. You are all about the food and the way you think and live. I think happiness creates an environment in our body that will help us. Like I can eat a burger right now with fear that this is bad. It's deep fried. It's trans fats. It's going to clog up my arteries and it's going to do that. I can say a burger. I can be grateful for it. Enjoy it. Eat it. And my body's going to process it differently. Now, of course, I go on doing that bad thing. You can't push the body beyond its set point. It's going to affect you at some point. And that's the difference. People's mindset and the physical body. And I think the African study has that, that element of them being simple. I think simplicity is a luxury. You can be truly happy without all the complications. And I I feel all of that has contributed to this junk food not affecting them. But if the study went on for a year or two years, of course, disease would slowly and eventually creep in (laughs) because the body's not magic. It's got a good uh, resilient point, but you push it beyond that, you're going to invite some problems in it for sure. Right. I've heard you say simplicity is the new cool. What do you mean by that? Because I, I see a lot of people as well And I fell into that trap uh, a few years ago where I carried around all these food rules. I was religious with my supplements and it became an obsession. And then I stopped enjoying food and I found that very unhealthy. So it is a return to simplicity, isn't it? Because you think about the longest living humans, whether it's in Sardinia or Japan, none of them take supplements. They don't have fitness first memberships. They live a very, very simple life. I call simplicity the new luxury. So Sam, I have the privilege of working with royal families across the world, billionaires, and I've learned this from them. No amount of complication and what you have can make you healthier or happier. It comes down to simplicity. This doesn't mean you don't strive to become a billionaire. You don't strive to live a royal life. Do all of that, but with a mindset of simplicity. The moment that Rolls Royce in my garage starts to control my stress levels, intention. I'm buying a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari because I want to validate who I am in society. I want people to respect me and love me because I have a Ferrari. That becomes damaging to your health. Have a Ferrari because you enjoy listening to the engine. You enjoy driving it down the road. 
have your wealth, which you're using with the right intention. Intention is everything that creates your mindset. But simplicity, have a life of simplicity. You know, so I can have everything. Now, as people become billionaires, India has a lot of startups people up becoming billionaires overnight. And all of a sudden, they have chefs in their kitchen. I'm for it. But why do you got to change the way you eat? Why do you need to fly in your lobsters from Spain? And why do you need to do it once in a way? But if you're going to do that every day, you're obviously going to invite health problems in. So now all of a sudden you feel that, oh, I don't need to work out that hard. I have a masseuse who comes, two hours of massage, I have all of that. But you stop doing the work that you would do that kept you fit earlier. So what I mean by simplicity is don't change the basics. Aspire for more. We have one life, finite time. I want to do it all. I want to do it all. I want a little bit of spirituality. I want a little bit of abundance. I want a little bit of adventure, naughtiness everywhere. That's the way I see my life. Now, when I'm 50 and 60, if I'm meant to move down a spiritual path, let life guide me that way. But right now, I want it all because I have one life. Yeah. I deal with dying patients every day. We look at fourth stage terminal cancer patients and I talk to them. And lessons you learn from dying people, Sam, is unbelievable. It all comes down to enjoy what you have. You have just one life. Enjoy what you have. So simplicity is... Okay, the absence of complication. If I can lose weight because I know my perfect truth is I overeat, I'm lazy, I stay up late at night. How is a diet plan going to change that when the perfect truth is don't overeat, sleep on time and start with a little bit of movement every day. Don't be lazy. That's simplicity. But you look for complication. You say, I want to dial in the most expensive nutritionist. I want to fly down the most expensive chef. I want uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's trainer to train me because I have the money. Complication. It's not going to solve your problem because the simple perfect truth is what you need to do. Discipline and consistency. So it always comes. My most complicated cancer cases are solved with simplicity, with the patient doing the right things, with the patient changing their lifestyles using the simplest ways possible, not the complication. The world has enough of complication to offer you in the word, in a package called convenience, because human beings want convenience. You pay for convenience, but you don't look for the shock. You don't look for the things that matter. So that's why I encourage people to live a life of simplicity. People think that look simple. Do I stop socializing? Do I stop buying things? No, you do it with the right intention, but you keep your life simple. So that's what I mean by simplicity. When we reflect, we already know our perfect truth. We know why our relationship isn't working out. We know why our libido is low. We know, everyone knows why something's going wrong, except in complications, like you suddenly lose the movement of your hand. Yep, I want an MRI. I want to study. I want to see what's happening in your system. But other than that, people know why they're depressed. People know why they can't fall in love, but they don't want to accept the perfect truth because they're looking for complication. We only believe that complication can solve problems. So we try to change those mindsets again, which are very limiting by embracing simplicity as the new luxury. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, because it goes back to what you said earlier, and that is connecting with your inner intelligence. We all have an inner intelligence that loves us. We all have an inner intelligence that has as an innate quality, health, vitality, high energy. It's innate for us to be able to fall asleep easily. It's innate for us yeah. to live in a state of high energy. It's the complications. As you're talking about these complications, it's these complications that dampens what is already naturally within us. So it's not about 
adding more complication. It's about stripping away the complexity. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and letting that intelligence do its job. And that's beautiful. And I find that meditation is the best way to get in touch with that inner intelligence. As you said earlier, it helps you notice your thoughts. It helps you notice your feelings, even though they're still there. But I think noticing what you're going through is 50% of the equation on your path to healing and on your path to changing negative lifestyles. And I want to introduce a new word today, yes. which is, and I believe that this word can disrupt meditation. Not that it, does, that it has to, but now everyone's on that path of meditation. Reflection. Reflection is beyond powerful. Because with reflection, I'm able to actually accept those thoughts coming up. Reflect on it. I, I do these reflection meditations with people where you don't have to meditate. You've got to reflect. From the time you woke up in the morning, reflect back. How did you feel? And don't judge it. I felt horrible. Okay, move on. What did you do last night? Oh, I ate a late night meal. So you already, you're keeping track of why you feel a particular way. Yes. Okay, who was I in that fight I had with my spouse today? Who was I being? Oh, I was being egoistic. Oh, my pride, it shot up again. So we're laughing, we're accepting through reflection. It's not to judge. Oh no, I was bad. When is this ever going to change? I'm a horrible person. I got angry again. My meditation is useless. It's not making me calm. Judgment. With meditation, sometimes judgment creeps in unless we're really evolved to witness the thoughts like you beautifully said. So I like to use the word reflection and meditation. Now I reflect and I meditate on it. So I create an inner connection as well as a learning from a failure. People are scared of mistakes. I look at mistakes as things of beauty unless we keep repeating it. Yes. What lesson? Fine, I made a mistake this morning. What lesson can I learn from it? Now it's no longer a mistake unless I go on making it. So reflection teaches us to actually evolve. Meditation gives us the connection, mindfulness, a space of clarity to operate from, but reflection helps us to stack onto it that, okay, fine. I don't want to be that person again. I've reflected on that. This is what I need to do. The next time this person, you know, provokes me, I'm just going to take a step back and say, you're right. And I practice it in my mind. So it happens in real life. And then you say, wow, that was brilliant. You got a different result because you did something differently. And to come back to your point of the intelligence you spoke within you, yes. look at your face, you're glowing. Now we can think, oh, it's Sam's amazing lifestyle, the workouts he does, the food he eats. But we can also accept the fact that you're doing something that you're passionate about. Your heart, your mind is all vibrating at a different energy that produces a natural glow on your face. So when we look at simplicity, it just could be Sam is doing what he loves. And now if I put you in a situation or give you something that you don't like to do, I can guarantee you, you're not going to have the same glow on your face, even if you had your green smoothie in the morning. So that <laughs> right. establishes the whole mental, <laughs> emotional, doing what we love, feeling in our element. It's beautiful. That's what integrative medicine is all about. Putting the pieces of the puzzle together to get the picture right. That's uh, beautiful. Really beautiful approach. And on that point of reflection, we have so much in common because I just did a series on my 456 system. I believe in systems for living. I don't rely on motivation. So in that, I talk about anxiety lives in the gap between the present moment and the future. Depression lives in the gap between the present moment and the past. Between the present moment and the future, we have the power of vision. Now, humans have the power of vision. When it comes to the gap between the present moment and the past, the humans have another faculty, and that is the power of reflection. Unfortunately, people use the power of vision to create anxiety, and they use the power of reflection to create unhappiness. But what you just said when it comes to the power of reflection, 
It's so beautiful. And I know our listeners have heard me talk about this, but in a different way, you've just narrowed it down to one thing. And that is when you reflect consciously on your actions, on your decisions for the day, on your feelings, ask yourself that simple question that Luke just reminded us of. Incidentally, he he didn't zone in on it, but I want to zone in on it. And that is, what did I learn from that? That is one of the simplest, most beautiful questions that I ask myself every day. So incidentally, Luke, my morning meditation is a visualization meditation. And my evening meditation is a reflection meditation. And that's how it's got to be done. That's, that's how it's got to be done. That's yeah. it. And straight after my meditation is a journaling ritual that I go through. And as I said, I've just finished recording a series for our community on that. But that's absolutely beautiful. So we talked about nutrition, food, gut health. Are there some rules that you can teach us that I know it's all about bio-individuality, but are there some universal truths or universal rules when it comes to food? Now, you mentioned it's not what you eat, it's how you eat, it's how much you eat, and it's also when you eat. So those four critical elements uh, of eating. But when it comes to food, if we do the other things right, the when, the how much, and how we eat, our state of mind, are there some food rules apart from sweet foods, like you mentioned, like sugars and complex carbohydrates? You mentioned also a color on a plate, diversity. You touched on protein. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to any of that? Yeah, protein is absolutely important for the human body, but we don't have to overdo it. It's also a huge industry that makes us want to eat more and more because we believe if I increase my consumption of protein, I'll lose weight, all of that stuff. Protein is the building block of every cell in the human body. Right. So whatever your diet, every meal that you eat should have a little bit of protein. But I had a handful of nuts, a little bit of chicken, fish, meat. If I'm vegan, your vegan sources of protein, vegetarian, doesn't matter. But every meal that you eat, your body is using that raw material for you. And it needs the right raw material, which means it needs its energy from your complex carbohydrates, protein for the repair work, the building work, and fats for your hormonal health. So every meal should have a little bit of everything. Now, sometimes if I'm doing a ketogenic diet, of course, I can monitor my carbs, increase my fat and increase my protein. That's again, bio-individual. You got to calculate it according to your height, your weight, your energy consumption, all of that stuff. So yes, your macronutrients and your micronutrients. And again, listen to your body. If you get hungry in an hour after your meal, you know your meal lacks something, either protein or fiber. So when I'm eating my raws, my salads, my fruits before my meals, I'm adding my fiber as well. And all of that works to keep me full. Usually the human body takes about four to six hours to break down animal protein and maybe three to three and a half hours to break down vegetarian protein. So usually my eating cycles, like let's say I don't fast and I have a breakfast, within three and a half to four hours, I would automatically be ready for my next meal. And then four hours later for my next meal. So again, it's the circadian rhythm as per your digestion, not as per social media telling you eat every two hours or fast for 16 hours, according to you. So that's another rule when it comes to food. So another rule is it's not about what you eat. It's also about how you digest and break down what you eat. So again, it comes to you, God, am I too acidic? So a lot of people today all over the world are, look, I want an alkaline diet. And I say, why? So because alkaline diets can cure cancer. So is cancer getting cured? No. You can't be alkaline. There are parts of us that thrive in an alkaline environment and in an acidic environment. Like my stomach has to be acidic if I want to break down my food, if I want to break down protein into amino acids, if I want to kill pathogens and germs that enter my system. 
I need to be acidic. The stomach has to be acidic. My bladder has to be acidic because my bladder filters waste from my kidney. It needs to kill all of those germs and those pathogens. Otherwise, I get a urinary tract infection if I'm trying to be alkaline all the time. My skin has to be acidic to kill the microbes that land onto my body. So we have a pH regulator, and that does a beautiful job within you automatically. It balances your pH levels. Sometimes you go into acidosis or whatever because of your diabetes or your treatments, and then you balance it out. But for everyone else, if I'm eating a balanced diet, I can squeeze lemon into a glass of water. And the moment I ingest it, it's highly alkaline. I can have cucumbers before my meal or add it to my salad. It can be alkaline. There's nothing wrong with acidic. Some of the best foods are acidic. Your almonds are acidic. Walnuts are acidic. Pumpkin seeds are acidic. But it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. The way it digests into your system, your pH regulator balances everything, and you thrive with good health. So what I would like to add to nutrition is also, again, keep it simple. How did people before us survive on such simple diets? If they could do it, nothing's changed for us, and they had less disease than we did. So sometimes you've got to reflect on these things, and that's why meditation, like you said, is so important to connect inside. Because once we get onto social media or into communities, everyone's talking about extremes in food, extremes in exercise. And our minds get confused. We think that's the way. But when you're connected, you just listen to everyone around and say, that sounds good, but this works for me. My bowl of fruits in the morning, my steak at night, my vegetables. That works for me. I feel great. I don't need to change anything. You only make change when change is required. Otherwise, we can get better at things. Like, let's say I want to add I'm 45 years old now. I'm not 45. I'm giving you an example. And I got to start thinking about my prostate. Yes. So now what can I do? Let me start adding a little bit of cooked tomatoes to my food because that's good for my prostate. Let me start adding a tablespoon of pumpkin seeds to my salad so I can get better at what I do. But I don't have to say, oh, let me become ketogenic now because ketogenic prevents cancer and I don't want to get prostate cancer. So again, it's a simple approach to bio-individual decisions for our food and nutrition. Yeah, it seems to be we're surrounded by extremism when it comes to food. And we've all been you know, guilty of it, where we run from one fad to the other. Over the years, I have a thirst for that sort of knowledge as well. Over the years, I've adopted the food combining diet, the uh, Atkins diet, the raw food vegan diet, the vegetarian diet, the pescatarian diet. (laughs) And then I landed on paleo and I just went, wow, this is for me, (laughs) right? And uh, along the way, I've seen so much extremism. And the, and the latest one is this alkaline diet. And then I started thinking exactly what you said, even though I didn't have the knowledge. And I thought, well, I wonder if our body needs <laughs> acidic forming mm-hmm. foods as well. And it's quite interesting. We could talk about this for hours. But you mentioned earlier statins. Now, I can't help but I have you on the line at the moment. I, I don't want to waste this opportunity because I've been on a statin for over 30 years. As I was diagnosed genetically with high cholesterol. And this is very common. I come across a lot of people who have this. Now, I have a cousin who is almost my age and he has high cholesterol, very high, and he takes nothing for it. And he's healthy and he's energetic and, and nothing has happened to him. And so you mentioned statins in the context of weaning off them. Is that something that's advisable? Can you get your system to an optimal state where, yes, you have the gene, but you've switched off that overproduction of cholesterol? Or is it that some bodies need more cholesterol, just like you mentioned that some people do better on uh, slightly higher blood pressure? So let me put it this way. We have cardiologists around the world who are like, hey, Luke, can you wean me off my statin? 
It's like that. Really? My point is, I'm not against statins. Very few people need it. It can save lives. But yes. again, medicine looks at everyone as a symptom. They don't understand certain things. Cholesterol is required. Why do people have side effects of statins? Because what does a statin do? It stops the production of cholesterol completely. Now, you need cholesterol for your cell membranes, your brain, your sex hormones, which is your testosterone, your estrogen, whatever it is. You need cholesterol for your skin, your bones, your hair, everything. So if I shut it down, that's why some of the side effects that people experience with a statin is muscle spasms, pain, dull aches in the body. Not everyone. Why? Again, science. It depletes CoQ10 and it depletes selenium. Yeah. Now, if I have to be on a statin, I'm also going to prescribe you selenium and a CoQ10, which is an enzyme. So something is depleting it, and I'm putting it back in your system. Good. I'm managing the side effects of the statin. But now, again, about cholesterol. You have types of cholesterol. We see it very differently today, and so do a lot of our medical doctors. If your triglycerides are fine, if your HDL, which is your good cholesterol, are in good limits, your LDL doesn't matter. You don't have to be on a statin for that. Now, if you have a genetic predisposition, okay, with high blood pressure, so it's always about assessing the patient. Today, we assess the symptom. So my questions to you would be, do you also have high blood pressure? Do you have bad habits like smoking, excessive drinking, sedentary life? Now, I'm assessing you, okay? So you could be a walking time bomb, or you could just be someone with high cholesterol, and your body will revolve around you. We forget a process where I want to introduce on this call a word called angiogenesis, which is a beautiful word. It is the ability of blood vessels to grow and to stop growing when they're meant to stop growing. So for example, like in cancer and tumors, it is over-angiogenesis. The human body has lost its ability to stop the growth of blood vessels. And let's picture a heart. I have a blockage today in one artery. If angiogenesis is working well for me, my heart starts to grow another artery, diverts the blood flow, like a traffic jam. And that's why there are people out there who are living with a 95% blockage, no high blood pressure, no bypass surgery, absolutely fine. And when you look at their hearts, they have new capillaries which have grown and they've just diverted around the blockage. Now, of course, doctors are right to say that it, you can survive that way. But tomorrow you go through a lot of stress and your blood pressure shoots up. That could cause a problem. So it's more of a safety precaution. But yes, knowing your lifestyle, you can wean off it. You would do a 2D echo so that you forget about just your cholesterol lipid profile. You would do a 2D echo and a stress test every year after the age of 35 if you have a genetic predisposition. So you know what's happening in your heart, but everything comes clear. You can wean off the statin, maintain a good HDL, keep your triglycerides. Triglycerides are a function of fats and carbohydrates in your system, lack of activity. But if those levels, all our patients whose levels are good, even if they have high LDL, which is the bad cholesterol, which is why a lot of doctors today don't no longer medicate on total cholesterol. They look at your ratio. So now yeah. you would want to be on a selenium or you would want to eat one Brazil nut a day if you don't want to take a selenium tablet, but you would definitely be on a CoQ10 enzyme because that's what's getting depleted by the statin. And if you're assessed well, see a lot of people who die with genetic predispositions, if you look at their lifestyles, they never changed it. But if you change it, Okay, you have the ability. That's why it's called epigenetics. What is epi? Epi is environment. Environment controls genes, epigenetics. So the wrong environment can turn on the wrong genes and turn off the right genes. Or the right environment can do the opposite. 
I can switch off a bad gene, or even if the bad gene's on, I can maintain it without it doing damage to it. Yes. So that's the beauty of epigenetics, lifestyle, and statins. Everyone doesn't have to be on a statin. And if you're on a statin, take the selenium, take the CoQ10, and make whatever lifestyle changes you can. Because today, cardiologists around the world are helping patients to wean off. They are seeing the truth in unique cholesterol. Because there are so many connections. When you look at the statin studies, not to scare anyone, but there are correlations between your brain health and a lack of cholesterol, Alzheimer's and a lack of cholesterol. So we got to balance it. And like you rightly said, what if your body type is the body type that requires a little more cholesterol? Some people need higher blood pressure. Some people need slightly higher blood sugar levels. It doesn't mean they're sick. Everything else is absolutely fine in them. So we got to break it down again at a bio-individual level. I love it. Yeah. And it seems that the legal profession has caused the problem uh, historically. Yeah. Because if doctors tell a patient, just adopt these lifestyle changes and the patient then yeah. goes away and has a heart attack, the doctor gets sued. And Absolutely. So they don't want to risk that. So they say, okay, I know that standard operating procedure is to prescribe this drug. The pharmaceutical companies lobby the same outcome. And so the drug gets prescribed. Now, I have doctors who tell me off the record that the only reason they prescribe drugs is because one, they could get sued, but two, 99.99% of their patients will not adhere to the lifestyle changes. They will not. And they're absolutely right. Yeah. They are absolutely right. So I believe that every medical prescription in the world should have the tablets and the lifestyles prescribed as well. Yes. Most people will jump for the tablets because it's the easier thing to do. So doctors are absolutely not wrong. I think what's wrong for any medical professional, not just a doctor, even a nutritionist, is to instill fear into a patient and say, this is the only way. Yes. No, it's not the only way. This is one of the ways. And now me, as your doctor, or my, your nutritionist, or your medical professional, I'm also showing you other parts because my job is to heal you, is to help you to recovery. So I can give you the medicine and I can also tell you 10 other things that you should do. Now, whether you do it or not, that's your call. That's what keeps the health industry and the wellness industry flourishing because of the lack of human motivation and inspiration to do the right things. But the doctors are not wrong over there. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people obviously dump on the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream medicine. But would you believe that alternative medicine and supplements has become bigger than pharmaceuticals it's actually a multi-billion dollar industry i think twice the size as a pharmaceutical industry that's why i love your niche that you're carving because it's not about alternative medicine it's not about mainstream medicine it's about <clears throat> that return to simplicity and about lifestyle as medicine and it's the hardest thing to regulate so i think governments put it in the too hard basket but i'm looking forward to a day in the future where doctors will prescribe and say well here's an executive summary of the lifestyle changes you need to adopt maybe someone out there can <laughs> design a software program where it just clicks a button after you enter all these things you have a q a and then like you said where you get to know the person the by individuality and bang it spits out a lifestyle i mean some yeah. doctors will prescribe lifestyle changes early on my doctor said you need to lower stress 
do cardio three times a day. It's so simplistic though. It doesn't go to that level that you're going to. And I think we need the governments of this world to recognize this as a new label in medicine. They need to recognize this as another category because at the moment it doesn't fit in any category. I'm a lawyer by profession, so I I, I see what the obstacles are, but wouldn't it be a great day in the future to see that happen? For doctors to become an obligation on them to use lifestyle as medicine in conjunction with normal medicine. When I say normal, I mean stuff where you're broken and you need to be fixed. It's like the crutch you mentioned, but not symptomatic. At the moment, medicine is about treating the disease, not the problem. (laughs) You don't treat the disease. It's like someone does an MRI and they say, oh, well, you know, I have arthritis of that joint. They're treating based on an MRI. That's not how you treat the problem. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I believe that day will come, Sam. It's already happening. It's just the lobbies that are too powerful, but it's happening. Like seven of the largest pharmaceutical industries in the world, the owners are all our clients. And I have to ask them this question. Why aren't you taking your own medicine? And they're like, we'll try lifestyle first. And I'm in agreement with them. They are making medicines that can save lives. But at the same time, they've created a community where people have become so dependent on medication, they don't want to change their lifestyle. You know, so it is changing. We have doctors who their families are on our programs because they're like, you know, Luke, we'll try lifestyle first and then medicine. So it's opening up. You can't blame doctors or people who have studied a particular way not to unlearn and change and open up your mind. Very few people can do that and accept it. So courses of integrative medicine are all over the world today. When we run one in India, we started an institute where most of our students are doctors and nurses who come to us to learn lifestyle medicine because they believe that they can help their patients better by giving them a medicine and lifestyle. So we just finished a batch yesterday of a postgraduate course of doctors and nutritionists and laymen who went through the course and now they have that certification to practice lifestyle medicine over and above their MBBS and everything else. So it is changing. I think the pandemic open up a lot of eyes where, hey, your own medical system couldn't help you because it came down to immunity, something that you are responsible for. Of course, the medical community can help you when you're low on oxygen, give you drips and ventilators and all of that stuff, but no one knew what to do, which is a rude awakening, but a necessary one that, hey, we are responsible to build that immunity. My immunity is not more garlic and turmeric. It's part of that, but it's also my sleep, my movement, my thoughts, my stress, everything that can destroy my immune system or build it. So I think the pandemic in a way has opened up and that's why wellness has moved to a higher degree where people are exploring alternative medicine because they don't have faith in medicine. And I want to tell people that, no, you don't have to. You just got to change the way you think because medicine can save your life. You don't have to take a new extreme. What is required for you? If alternative is good, do it. If allopathy is needed, do it. If just meditation can change the way you eat and you sleep, do that. You've got to find out what works for you. It's not that one system is better than another. All of them have their pros and their cons. Well, thank you for listening to episode two of my podcast with Luke Katinho. And I hope that you have downloaded new information as I have that we have not heard before. Some we have, but some we haven't. But I love the way Luke presents it. But stay tuned for the third and final installment in this series next week, where we talk about supplements, an integrated approach to medicine and lifestyle, discipline and consistency, benefits of sleep, the tips and tricks for better sleep from an Ayurvedic perspective, 
sleeve. We talk about the circadian rhythm, how to get quality sleep, melatonin supplements, anti-inflammatories, and a whole heap of stuff. We also talk about what he calls the gift that everyone is born with. And it's something I haven't heard before. And I'm really, really excited to share that with you. To all our listeners, thank you again for listening. And as always, as I say, live consciously. And I I always bring this information to you with the utmost of love and respect for your time and for your well-being. So until next time, live consciously. Thank you.